system for the forgiveness of sins, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. So I grew up in the late 70s and 80s, and the thing that I was probably more into than anything else other than heavy metal was WWF, wrestling, professional wrestling. I mean, all of these bigger-than-life personalities, all of these huge storylines and these guys just going at each other and all of this amazing theatrical excitement. I remember one time going to WrestleMania three in our giant Civic Auditorium where they had a big screen showing it live for everybody to watch. I mean, it just, it was huge and I loved it. And then somebody told me something. And, and, I mean, it was like they had said Santa wasn't real or something. They told me it was fake. And, I, I, no, there is no way that is fake. I mean, I still recall so vividly when Hulk Hogan would get all beat up and you'd think the match is over, and then suddenly he would start to shake. And he'd like... You know, and you're like, yeah, like your hair's all standing up and everything. You're just like, oh, and it just starts beating. Oh, it's so awesome. There's no way that could be fake. I mean, men leaping 15 feet in the air and smashing into one another and then standing up with nothing broken. There is no way that could be fake. And I fought it and fought it and fought it. And someday I had to accept. I mean, last week I finally... All right, it's fake. Well, no, no, I actually read the Scraped article that said it's not fake, it is scripted. Okay, it is scripted. Um, and what's interesting is that scriptedness, um, I've read all kinds of ways they do this. Sometimes the ref actually had the fight memorized, and as you're watching the ref talk to the wrestlers, he's telling them the next move to make. In what is probably the iconic moment in WWF, when Hulk Hogan took on Andre the Giant in WrestleMania three, and there's still that, that, I mean, anytime you think of it, it is Hulk Hogan lifting up this 500-pound man and body, body slamming him. But that move didn't happen until that move actually happened when Andre told him, this will be the last move. In that fight, he wouldn't allow everything to be scripted. And that last move, they were still waiting for it, and he calls the move out just before it actually happens. But it's still scripted. The whole thing is scripted. Now, it's a lot of work. I mean, to, and, and there was another wrestler who was describing the fact that they actually do get hurt. I mean, going through even the scripted stuff, it's kind of about minimizing damage, like, there's going to be damage. Um, but how do you go through and, like, one, keep yourself in that physical fitness shape? 
Um, there was this whole season where they didn't want people to know it was fake, and so they would keep enemies away from each other. Like in public, if you're an enemy in the ring, you couldn't be around each other, even though a lot of these guys were friends. There was all this stuff that goes into it, but it was still scripted. Like it still wasn't actually these guys beating each other up. Have you or do you ever feel like your Christian life is that? It's kind of a script. It's somewhat fake. Like you're here, you come on Sundays, you come up to the altar and do your thing, you stand when we're supposed to stand and we sing songs. We do all of these things. But there's an element to it where you feel, and you wouldn't say this to too many people, maybe nobody, you feel a little fake. Like, is this actually real? Is this, are things really happening? Because even as you look at your life, you think, well, I know what the preacher keeps telling me this life is supposed to be like. I know as I read the Bible, there's certain things that seem they're supposed to be true, and I'm acting like they're true at times, and I, I act with other people like they're true at times, but deep down what I recognize, I'm not sure I'm really that much different than anybody else, and it feels a little bit fake. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. But I'll raise mine. My Christianity sometimes feels fake. It feels scripted. I feel like WWF Christianity. I mean, I know all the right moves. I know what I'm supposed to do. But sometimes what it feels like is the motions. But I'm not seeing the impact. I'm not seeing the fruit. I'm just going through the motions. Now, I want to suggest one of the reasons why that could be true. And I'm really not trying to be harsh here, but I think it's our fault. I don't think something is broken in Christianity. I don't think we get to kind of just get off with a pass, like, well, we're just doing our best, and what, God's not doing his best? I want to suggest right up front that the reason it feels the way it does is because of us. Because I know that's true for me. And this week and next week, I wanna talk about the problem. Right? Last week, this is what I said. All around the world, billions of people believe in Jesus. And that is a great first step. But we are called to believe Jesus, not just believe in him, but actually believe his words. Believe when he says what he says, that it is real. That like, no, I wanna actually do that. He's not just talking and I get to go, well, maybe. But to believe him. But for the next two weeks, I wanna tell you there's a third thing. And I believe it is the root of scripted Christianity. I believe it's the root of why so many of us, maybe not all the time, but maybe just sometimes, maybe it's a lot of times, maybe for you it's all the time, we feel fake. We feel like, why am I not seeing more? 
Why don't I know the peace and the joy and the victory and all those things that like you hear and you read about? Why is it that we constantly hold up the Apostle Paul and go, wow, and yet I can't go over and say to Terry, let me hold up Terry who has done everything the Apostle Paul has done. Now Terry's a pretty amazing guy and I've watched his spiritual walk but we don't use each other as examples very much because our lives really don't look like this. Why? I want to suggest one reason. Open your Bible, if you would, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We need a little context. John 13 to 17 Jesus is talking to the disciples on the last day of his life, last night of his life, and he's doing one thing all the way through these chapters. He's encouraging them. If you walk through these chapters, it is over and over again. He's like, all right, look, I'm going to be leaving, but have peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to be leaving, he says it multiple times, but don't worry. The Father's going to take care of you. I love you. I'm sending you the helper. I've overcome the world. There's all these things just over and over again. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. He's praying for them. Do you know that in chapter 17 he prayed for you? Do you know that while he was on the earth he prayed for you? I mean, it's all this encouragement all the way through these chapters because here's what he knows. He's getting ready to be arrested. He's getting ready to be betrayed, taken away, put on trial, and crucified. And his disciples are going to have to deal with that. And so here he is in this very tough moment trying to help them and encourage him because that's who Jesus is. You know that song, It's Who You Are? That's who Jesus is. He's encouraging them all the way through, which means chapter 15 is also meant to be encouragement. So go ahead and look at chapter 14, verse 29, just to kind of walk into 15. Verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. More encouragement. Look, I'm telling you this stuff so that when it happens, you can believe. He says at one point, I'm telling you these things so you won't fall away. He recognizes how hard what they're going to go through is. And so he keeps trying to encourage them. Keep going. I will no longer walk much with you, for the ruler of this, uh, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, where they are at this point, if our information is accurate, they're in the upper room. It's in the city of Jerusalem. It is right near the temple. If you could walk out and look out a window from the room, you'd be able to see the temple. It's right there. And they rise from that place, and they walk right along the temple, down into the Kidron Valley, and then they go to the garden. And that's where they're going to stop, is at the garden. Now, he's getting ready, and he says, I am the true vine. Now, most scholars would say, and this is possibly accurate, that at some point in that journey, he's walking by a vineyard. And he sees it, and he says, I'm the true vine. I read something this week that I thought was really fascinating. Because they have to walk right by the temple, 
at the holy place, there are stairs that lead up to a curtain. And above this curtain, there is a solid gold vine that goes over it. And that vine represented Israel. And if you go into the Old Testament, you will see God call Israel vine vineyard a number of times. But they were the vine. They were God's vine. And you can picture Jesus. He's getting ready to be rejected by the very people that are supposed to be that vine. And so walking by and seeing it and saying, I am the true vine. Not what you've been taught, not what you believe. I am the true vine. Why is that important? And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, I can't tell you the number of papers and articles and chapters that are on verse 2. Well, can we be one of the branches that are broken off? And then we get thrown in the fire. And, and what if I'm not producing fruit? Am I one of them? Is he getting break? Can I lose my salvation? Can I not lose my salvation? And I think all of it misses the point. This is encouragement. One of their members is not with them. Judas, he's betraying them. I would argue he's the broken off branch. And in verse three where he says, you're already clean. But his point is encouragement. Every branch that stays connected to me, you're gonna bear fruit. What's he saying all the way through the discourse? Don't fall away. Stay with me. Hey, here's part of the encouragement. When you stay with me, you bear fruit. In fact, much fruit. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Disciples, it's so important. I recognize things are going to get hard, but I want you to abide in me. Remain in me. This is where the fruit is. Apart from me, nothing. Um, so I brought this. I can't say a lot about this because I don't really know that much about trees, plants, vines, anything else. Um, I know it's green, I know it's kind of pretty. I know it wasn't green a while back, but you know, the weather has changed a little and the rains have come and things in my backyard are turning green. But I can tell you this, it won't look like this in a month because it has no sustenance. Um, it, it, it can go so far as it is, but it's, it's going to die. It's going to wither, it's gonna turn brown. It's going to happen. This is the basic message for the next two weeks that I want to open up, all right? And I want to ask two questions. One is for next week, and it's this question here. How do I abide? What does it look like? How do I do this? My question this morning, how important is it? How important is it to abide? Right? Is it as important as what I was arguing at the beginning of this message, that the very key to living a Christian life that is genuine, that is not scripted, is abiding, that it's that important. So 
How important is this? Look back at your Bible. Look at verse 1 of 15. My father is the vine dresser. It is important to God the Father. He is actually taking care of the vines. He is the one who is pruning so that more fruit can come forth. It is important to the Son who is saying to not only abide in him to bear fruit, but he will say later on in this passage, you've been appointed for this. You're appointed for it. But here's the big thing. If I had to define some fruit for you, let me define fruit. A right? number of times in this passage is defined, but then I'm going to go throughout the rest of the New Testament. Right? Lots and lots of things deal with fruit. Part of our fruit is that the Father listens to our prayers. It's actually part of the fruit in here. Part of our fruit is Christ's joy in us. That's part of the fruit. Part of our fruit is that we are making new disciples. We are bringing others to Jesus. That's part of our fruit. Part of the fruit in the epistles is righteousness in us. Maybe the most well-known of the fruit are the fruits of the Spirit. Character. Our character is part of the fruit. At one point, it even says the fruit of our good works to be impactful actually is also connected to abiding. Do you know you can do good works that are not as impactful as if you were abiding in Christ? There is so much in there. You want to know where peace comes from? You want to know where joy comes from? Abiding. This is part of the fruit that is in there. Right? The problem is, I think, we all have a different plan. So, got my kids yesterday. We're doing shopping. Been in the car for a while. And you're not going to believe this. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old boy, and they were fighting. <laughs> I mean, what gives? You know, boys fighting. It's crazy. But they were just going off. And of course, the longer we're out and the more we're shopping, the more they're fighting. And so I decided I would try a little different approach this time. I said, boys, I got a plan. This is my plan. You two keep fighting until I can't take it anymore, and then I'm going to start yelling at you. How's that? They hate when I yell. I don't really like yelling, but sometimes they just keep going. I said, does that work for you guys? No. Do you have a better plan? My five-year-old. I got a better plan. What is it? Now, here's my hope. My hope was they would recognize the logical connection between them fighting and me yelling, and that their plan would be, we should stop fighting, and Daddy won't yell. My five-year-old said, I got a better plan. How about we keep fighting and you don't yell at us? <laughs> that took everything I could not to yell, but thankfully I was laughing. And so, buddy, that's not an option. That's not one of the plans that you have available to you. 
You may want that plan, but it is not a good plan. Here's the thing. There is only one plan for Christian growth, for Christian fruit, for abundant Christian life. It is abiding in Jesus Christ. That's the only plan we're given. And the problem is, do you know there's no neutral positions in Scripture? There's not neutral ground. Jesus says, you are for me or you are against me. Paul says your mind is on the flesh or it is on the spirit. Give yourself over to God or you give yourself over to sin. You love the world or you love God. But there's no neutral position. You can't straddle a fence where you're going, well, I don't love God, but I don't love the world. I'm okay. I'm just sitting in the middle waiting for a while. There's no neutral positions in Scripture. You either build your house on the rock, which are the teachings of Christ, or you build it on the sand by default. But there's not like a middle ground where it's part rock and part sand. Half my house is going to stand up, the other house is going to fall down. There's not neutral positions. And here's the thing, there's no neutral abiding either. You're either abiding in Christ and you will experience, according to him, fruit. Or, and this is what we need to hear, this is part of the importance, there's not a neutral abiding place. You are abiding in something, even if it's not Christ. You might be abiding in anger. You might be abiding in past hurt. You might be abiding in alcohol. You might be abiding in work. You might be abiding in your desire for people to like you. You might be abiding in your desire to never take responsibility for anything but always push it on to other people. You're abiding in something. And you know what it's doing? It's producing fruit. Right? Have you seen it? Think about what it is that you nurture in your soul. What's it producing? If it's anger, how often are you snapping at people? How often are you treating people in ways you don't want to treat people? Because there's a fruit that comes from whatever we abide in. What are you abiding in? We're all abiding in something, even if... We are not making a conscious choice to do it, although I think there's some consciousness to it because a lot of times we don't want to give it up. The most famous wrestler in WWF who did more for making the sport, the scripted sport, the theater um, bigger was Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant was such this weird anomaly and, and one of the things they did was make sure he was never one place too long because they didn't want that, whoa, to go away. And so they'd only let him show up at certain places or certain amounts of time. He was part of it. And just to look at this man, what's interesting about him is until he was 15, he was basically a normal kid. It wasn't until 15 that his excessive growth hormone kicked in. 
And then, just grew. I mean, and grew and grew. But here's the thing. At one point, he was diagnosed. There was a doctor who diagnosed him and who, like, this is what's going on with you. And guess what? There is some treatment for this. Not a cure, but there's a treatment. And if you don't get the treatment, you won't live to be 40. He made the decision not to get medical treatment. Do you know why? Because that growth, that giantness, that was his livelihood. That's what he found all of his value in. He didn't want to lose what he had in wrestling. He chose to stay rooted in this disease that was killing him because it produced a fruit. That fruit was popularity and money and continuing to be this larger-than-life individual, but it had a cost. Church, we're rooted in things. We're abiding in things, and they're not neutral. They have a cost, but we're being invited to root in Christ, to abide in Christ, so that the fruit we have comes from him. And all those things that we're talking about, peace, joy, victory, um, all the character things, patience, gentleness, kindness, all of that is a fruit. Because here's the other thing I think is true with us and with um, WWF. I try to script those things. I try to force them. Like, I'm going to be nicer than I actually am, and it works for a little bit, but it's not the fruit of my life. It's a script I'm playing. And you know what? Sometimes, in faith, that script makes a difference in my life. But it's not sustainable long term. We cannot will ourselves into the character of Christ. It is a fruit that is produced because we are abiding in Christ. That is a very different thing. You see, what it looks like, this is pretty right now. It's green. It looks good. And you know what? You and I, when we force these things in our lives, we look pretty. But it is not sustainable. At some point, you will snap. I have been practicing a non-anxious presence. So I've been practicing. And the, 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 I shouldn't say the person, the creature I am practicing it most with is our lab. I'm trying to practice a non-anxious presence with my lab because I've not always treated her well. And since we've gotten into the new house, she barks at everything. And you know what? It's been working for like a day, it's an entire day. And then I just lost it because you can't force this. And it is sad when it is forced. Um, Andre the Giant wrestled up until the last month of his life. Not here, he went to Japan. He was wrestling in Japan. And it was so painful for him that he couldn't walk 
to the arena by himself or get into the arena by himself. He had to have his hand on the shoulder of somebody else. And then he would let it all go and fight through the pain and try and go through a match. He did not have the reserve anymore to continue doing it. It was killing him, literally. And you know what? When you and I are abiding in our anger, when we're abiding in our unforgiveness, when we're abiding in finding our identity in our jobs, in people, we are fighting a losing battle to become Christ-like. We just can't keep doing it. We have to abide in him. Then it is produced in us. Next week, I want to talk about how to abide. How do we do it? If, it's, if this really is such a key, if this really can produce the fruit that I think all of us want, I mean, is there anybody in here that doesn't want a greater sense of peace in your life? Anybody who doesn't want to have more joy in Christ? Anybody who doesn't want more patience? Anybody who doesn't want to live kingdom first naturally? Not just out of my grunt work, like I'm getting myself in the arena and I'm doing it one more time until I can't take it anymore, and then I explode on my dog. We have to abide. It's the only way we do it. Um, this is only, I'm going to end here. It's only, I, I think it's related. If it's not, I'll make it related by the end. But I have to tell it. Um, there were so many sad things about Andre the Giant's life. I'm mean, just reading what he went through. And so many of them were his own choices because he wanted something over here that was not good for him. And he kept making those same choices. Um, well, one of them, there was a close to bona fide miracle in his life. Um, his condition is supposed to make it so that you cannot have kids. He had a daughter, but he made the choice to continue his wrestling career and have nothing to do with her. He hardly knew her at all, and it wasn't until the very end of his life that there was some sense of what he lost, some sense of the regret that he had. And in his will, he gave a fixed amount of money to his caretaker and to his caretaker's wife. Everything else he owned, he gave it to his daughter. His homes, his money, everything, gave it all to her. He tried at the end to do something different. I don't want to get to the end of my life and have all of the regret and have seen all the fighting and everything that I did that never accomplished what I actually wanted, what I desired deep down because I do know Christ. I want to start now. So I've got one application for you this week. I want you to think hard about the things you're abiding in. I want you to think hard about what you're nurturing in your soul. What is it that, that you, are, you are drawing some weird, perverse kind of strength from? What is it that you're finding an identity in 
What is it that is driving you that is not Christ? And next week, we're going to talk about how to abide in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you gave your Son, you gave your Spirit, you gave your love, and even now you want to have fruit in our lives. Not as some kind of qualification, but because you want us to have abundant life. Your Son's life, death, and resurrection was not just about some way off future thing. But you actually wanted us to have a life now that was eternal and abundant and beautiful and reflected our great God. Lord, help us this week to see those things that we are abiding in, that are producing a fruit in our lives that we don't want. Show us the ways that we are in our own strength trying to produce something we can only get by being connected to Christ. And then, Lord, raise in us a greater and greater desire to have that connection to our Savior. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen.